0: Hello, everybody, and welcome in to the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson, and in next week's episode, we'll be talking about what's going down in the NFL. We will take a deep look into the NBA. We will shift to a little tennis news, which we don't really talk about a lot on the show, but definitely need to talk about that, and we will have our best for last. Now, don't forget, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And don't forget to follow the Twitter page at JTimesports. I repeat, at JTimesports. And turn on those post notifications to get all the breaking news as soon as it becomes available. Now, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Welcome in everyone. Welcome in. I absolutely am looking forward to this show. Honestly, I sat around yesterday wondering or a couple days ago wondering, man, like what topics I'm gonna to talk about. The NFL is pretty much over until the draft. And you know, the NBAs I can pack a lot into the NBA, but you know, trying to get a whole show out of that and I was really sitting around wondering, man, I'm having a lot of off-season coach for the NBA and stuff like that, or off-season coach for the NFL rather, and I was just sitting there going, man, what am I going to talk about? And then, around this same time yesterday, I was handed a gift. And watching Sports Talk television and listening to Sports Talk radio, we all were handed a gift. Everyone who does what I do, everyone in this industry, was handed a gift who talks about the NFL. Because Carson Wentz the era of Wentz, Wentz Wentzylvania, all that good stuff is officially over and he has been uh, effectively, he's been agreed upon to be traded to the Indianapolis Colts for a third round pick in this year's draft which will be pick 85 and a 2022 conditional second round pick that more than likely will turn into a first because the conditions are if he plays 75% of the snaps regardless of result it turns into a first or, if he plays 70% of the snaps and they make the playoffs, it also turns into a first. So, more than likely, barring catastrophic injury, uh, 75% of the snaps, he has to play 12 out of 16 games. So, barring a major injury, that second-round pick will become a first-round pick. But, if it gets in when the Colts get in the playoffs, that second-round pick will be a first-round pick. It'll be in the 20s or possibly even in the 30s, but definitely in the late 20s. So the Colts are definitely willing to offload that. As we've seen in recent years, they offloaded a first for DeForest Buckner. Now they've offloaded a future first for Carson Wentz. Obviously, you can look at this from two different perspectives. When they has a big time trade, what is the first thing we always see? Who won the trade? Who won the trade? In this case, officially, we don't know. Intel 12 months from now, when we're in this exact same spot right around offseason draft time and we're wondering if the Colts are trying to upgrade at quarterback or if that third round pick becomes a major player or if that becomes a first round pick and now there's some great guy in the draft that the Eagles are going to drafting. We won't really officially know for about 12 to 24 months. But if I have to look at it right now, which I will, I'm going to have to say the Colts won this trade by about I don't know, a country mile. Well, why do you say that, Justin? Why I said say the Colts won the trade? Carson Wentz didn't play well last year. He was benched. He was ultimately replaced by Jalen Hurts, who was picked in the second round. He was pretty much one-to-one in touchdown-to-turnover ratio. Maybe have to been a little worse than that. I think he might have had more picks and touchdowns last year. It didn't look great. The organization, there were stories leaking out all over the place about how he's not a leader, how he's rather aloof, How he doesn't, you know, connect with his teammates, how he's rather off-putting. Why would you say the Colts won the trade? Simple. They had Phillip Rivers last year, who would never in his life at any point was as talented as Carson Wentz is. And they win 11 games and nearly, nearly beat the Buffalo Bills, who we saw in the conference championship game against the Kansas City Chiefs. Carson Wentz gets back in the offense he works with. Remember the, remember the 2017 Carson Wentz? Yeah, he had Frank Wright as offensive coordinator. Frank Wright is now the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. The quarterback coach in Philadelphia at the time of 2017 is now the offensive coordinator, if i serves me correctly, of the Indianapolis Colts. The Philadelphia Eagles have a horrible offensive line. The Colts have probably the best offensive line. I can't name one of the receivers that were healthy at the end of the year last year for the Philadelphia eagles i believe i believe one of them uh played quarterback in college um can't think of his name right now greg ward was healthy at the end of the year that Folgum, Folgum came out of nowhere for a few games then Indianapolis Colts coast don't have the world's greatest weapons but they have michael pittman at least who's an absolute stud at receiver we've seen that in the playoff game Against Buffalo, that was his welcoming out party to the world and to the country uh, when he went off against the Bills in the playoffs. They have T.Y. Hilton, who they can resign, and they have cap space in a, in a free agency filled with top talent at receiver. Kenny Galladay's of the world, Alan Robinson of the world, Juju Smith-Schuster's of the world, and others. There is talent to be had. Michael Thomas, I'm sure, is up for trade in New Orleans as they're trying to get under their cap situation chris godwin is also available and so now you have a top 10 defense as well you have a culture in indianapolis that's not the philadelphia sports culture philadelphia booed santa claus famously or infamously depending on your point of view they absolutely rip their management and their quarterbacks and their players to shreds philadelphia won five or went to five straight nmc championship games andy reid went to the super bowl Tio played on a broken leg. If Tio's leg is not broken, the Eagles probably beat the Patriots in that Super Bowl. Andy Reid has not ring much earlier, and they fired him effectively because him and the management fell out, and there was a couple of off the field incidents, but uh, a couple of off the field situations, behind the scenes stuff. But they fired him, and Philly fans, for a large degree, cheered the firing. Andy can't win the big one and stuff like that. And then they went to the Chip Kellys of the world. That ain't work. And then they went to Doug Peterson. Obviously, netted them a Super Bowl. Basically, on the back of Carson Wentz getting on the first seed. Allowing Nick Foles to be comfortable. And allow Nick Foles to do what he has to do. But organizationally, the Colts are much better than the Eagles. It's not even close. I mean. Yes, Jim Irsay can go off the rails. We all agree on that. Jim Irsay is not the world's most stand-up, stringiest. He's always available when you need him. Lately, he has had any incidents, but Jim Irsay has had his demons to battle with in the past, who is the owner of the Colts. But their GM, Chris Ballard, top five GM in the league. He's right up there with the Mickey Loomis of the world. He's right up there with the Rams GM, whose name escapes me at this moment. He's right up there with Brett Veach of the Kansas City Chiefs. He is up there with anybody you wanna put up there in Indianapolis who's Chris Ballard's GM. Obviously Frank Wright, we've seen what he's done. He produced with Jacoby Brissett, he produced with Phillip Rivers, he produced with Carson Wentz 2017. You have, like I said, that defense and that receiving core with money to spend on it to improve it, and you still maintain your own draft pick this draft. So I don't know how Indianapolis possibly could not have won this trade. But let's look at it from Phillip's perspective. Let's see what you have left in the cupboard in Philly. You have a power-hungry GM who probably drafted the quarterback that's now on the team in Jalen Hurts to unseat the quarterback he just traded in Carson Wentz. He fired the head coach for wanting to hire his own staff. Now, I kind of agree with Hire Roseman, who's a GM in Philly on this one. Doug Peterson wanted to hire from within. Well, if there's a culture problem and there's an accountability problem and you hire the same people in different roles, none of that's going to change. So, High Roseman wanted to bring in guys from the outside and really change the culture and get some new inspiration. Doug Peterson pushed back. Ultimately, he was fired because of it. But you have a power, hungry dream, high Roseman, who all of most of the ex-players don't like. Orlando Skandrick eviscerates high Roseman every chance he gets. And Roseman's only drafted one pro bowler since the 2016 draft, it's the guy he just traded in Carson Wentz. So it's not like he's been doing all that great either at his job. You fired the head coach who just won a Super Bowl a couple of years ago. You have an aging, failing offensive line because Jason Peters is trying to hang on. And honestly, you're you're playing him not because he wants to play. One, not solely anyway. Your offensive line is bad. So Jason Peters can go from tackle to guard and get hurt there. And as soon as he's ready, he comes back because he's one of your best Two offensive linemen you got on the team outside of your center, Jason Kelsey. You have, like I said, no receivers of note. Greg Ward and Travis Fogum has really been your receiving core over the past two years. Fogum wasn't even there two years ago. It was great. It was Greg Ward and deck chairs. Alshon Jeffries done. Deshaun Jackson can't stay healthy. Your run game is decent, I suppose, but that because your offensive line when healthy is not half bad, but they're never healthy. You've got a tie-in in Zach Ertz, who sees the writing on the wall and wants out of Philly because he knows he's done, and they're not gonna pay him because Dallas Goddard is right behind him, who's cheaper. At this point, I'm slightly more athletic and probably a better player right this second. You have a defense that's bad. You only got one real player, or two real players on defensive note. You've got Darius Slay, and you have Fletcher Cox. The rest of them are, eh. I mean, you got Brandon Graham. He's not bad, but I mean, your defense ain't great. Your fan base is brutal. You now have the largest dead cap hit in history at thirty three point eight million dollars for Carson Wentz. You got the number six pick, but now there's a rumor that you might draft a quarterback. So, how does if you draft a quarterback at six, Philly Help me out. Now, personally, I'm hoping that you're just outsmart everyone and you're basically doing this as a smoke screen to try and make some team i got san francisco or something like that give you a few picks because you traded five picks to get carson wentz and in return you got two so maybe you try to get a team like san francisco to get desperate and trade you two or three picks to come up from i believe they're 10 or 11 or 12 somewhere in there and come get six maybe you are trying to get uh new england to fly up from 15, offer you 15, 47, 70-something to try and come up until the six, I don't know. I don't know what the goal is. I'm hoping you're trying to get somebody to come and trade it because you didn't get what you wanted back for Wentz and you're probably not gonna get what you want for six if you try to trade it because at one, it's going Lawrence. Two, I don't think I'm gonna go quarterback there. He's definitely gone. Jack Wilson or Justin Fields at four. So at six, you're left with the third quarterback on the board. Hey, maybe maybe somebody jumps up. I doubt it. But anyway, there's a rumor going around and a couple of reports reported by Adam Schefter and a couple other people that Philly may draft the quarterback at six. Help me out here, Philly. Let's say you draft the quarterback at six. Let's say you draft Zach Wilson, BYU. Somebody wises up and drafts Justin Fields. Second, you draft Zach Wilson at six out of BYU. What? The hell do you do with Jalen Hurts? I'm just... Oh, oh. by the way, Philly also have a new young coach that sounded horrible in his press conference. Just wanted, to, just wanted to point that out there. But let's say you draft that quarterback at six. Let's say you draft Zach Wilson, quarterback, BYU with the sixth overall pick in the NFL draft. What do you do with Jalen Hurts? Because... Let's say Zach Wilson beats out Jalen Hurts, which if they went in the straight-up competition due to financial reasons and Howard Roseman wanted a completely fresh start, he probably will get the nod. You got a quarterback in Jalen Hurts who you drafted in the second round last season who you benched the guy you just, who you benched, who you played, rather, for the guy you just traded, basically saying he's our next quarterback. Then you draft the quarterback in the first round after benching Hurts in week 17 to play some third stringer for God knows what reason. What did you, Why do you do with Hurts now? Because now you have a second round pick and quarterback that if you tried to trade two in New Orleans or a Tampa Bay or a Carolina or a Pittsburgh, he'd have suitors, but they wouldn't offer you more than a fourth round pick because you have to trade him because you just drafted him. In the second round, and now you're gonna try and bench him after playing him. Ain't about to work. Or, worst case scenario, you draft a quarterback at six, a la Zach Wilson. He loses to Jalen Hurts, and now you got the sixth overall pick on your bench with a quarterback you drafted the year before starting. So, there's no way two quarterbacks on the same field can work. Now you gotta get rid of Zach Wilson, who you just put a six uh, number six overall pick on. You're clearly not about to get anything, probably more than a, a second and a third. Because you picked him at six, and he lost to a quarterback you picked in the second round, so his value is immediately damaged. Please, Philadelphia, do not tra- draft a quarterback at six. Just ride out with Jalen Hurts. Honestly, you, 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 you would do so much worse damage to your team if you just picked the quarterback at six. Because last year, you drafted a receiver. That was the wrong receiver. You passed up on a couple of good guys, Brandon Ayuk and Justin Jefferson for Jalen Rager. So you probably should have went with Justin Jefferson. Everybody says they're looking back on it. But Brandon Ayuk also would have been a better fit for your team. So just be smart. Draft the best receiver on the board. The odds of three receivers going in the top five is slim. So you'll have a pick out of Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, or Jalen Waddle. Pick whichever one is left. Try to rebuild that receiving core. Jalen Ray gets, another, gets a real offseason or close to a real offseason. And guess what? You have talent to build around a Hurts, or if Hurts falls on his face and you go four and twelve, you picking the top ten again. Then you go get your quarterback. Simple. But to draft the quarterback at six, you automatically are making one of them irrelevant. Automatically, Sports Tiger Radio is going to be killing you. The the locker room is going to split. It's a well split further. It is an absolute mess if you draft the quarterback at six, Philadelphia. So please do not do that. Out of all the mess I just said, the biggest winner is Carson Wentz. You got all those upgrades in Philly, in Indianapolis rather. You don't have the mess of Philly. You get a pretty comfortable spot. I mean, look at how Philly, Indianapolis couldn't win a big one with Peyton Manning. And no one in Indy complained. It was the outside media calling Peyton Manning a choker. Andrew Luck was routinely hurt. And all of two to three weeks ago, Jim Ursay was, and retired at 29. And all of two weeks ago, Jim Ursay was saying, well, uh, Andy's a cult for life and he wants to come back. He knows we'll always love to have him back. And he retired at 29 years old and outside of those first couple of years, didn't win a whole lot. Now he drugged that roster for the first couple of years, an absolute mess of a team, to AFC Championship games and the playoffs that had no business being there. And he also drew a couple other teams that had no business even winning the games they won. But ultimately, his career didn't pan out the way most people thought. And the Colts love him. They love Phillip Rivers. And Phillip Rivers couldn't throw an accurate pass past 20 yards. They loved him. So Carson Wentz is in a spot where he's kinda playing with house money. He's still getting his money. The Colts assumed his whole $128 million contract. So he's gonna get a vast majority of that regardless of the situation. He's in a spot where the teams won 11 games last year with a less time to quarterback. Now, they do get the first place schedule this year, so that'll be a little difficult. But he's worth about a game and a game or a game and a half over Phillip Rivers. But if you take away a game for scheduling, you know, you play a harder team than you did last year, you you look up. Hey, no, they played the a second place schedule. The Titans won their division. You're right. The Titans won their division. I just thought about it. So they actually get the second place schedule again this year. You look up. He's with about a game, game and a half. The Colts should be a 12. I know you can't win 20, 12 and a half. 12 to 13 win team next season. There's no reason why they shouldn't. There's no reason why Carson Wentz's name should not be in the MVP discussion. He might not win it. The Colts offense isn't built for a QB to win the MVP. He might not win it. But there's no reason why Carson Wentz's name shouldn't be floating around as a fringe MVP candidate. But... Carson Wentz ultimately does become the third QB to fall in the QB carousel. So he has found his horse. He's gotten off the ride. He's landed. Obviously, like I said, just to recap it, you've got Matt Stafford and Jared Goff being traded for each other. So Stafford has a new home in L.A. Jared Goff has a new home in Detroit. Now Carson Wentz lands Indianapolis, his preferred destination. And so that leaves a few big names, or rather known names, left on the QB carousel. Hey, and there's even more guys on the ride now. We've got Deshaun Watson, who still has not gotten out of Houston. That mess of a team. They've even let JJ Watt go. Like I said, like we broke the news last week, we reported last week. They've even let JJ Watt go when Watt's acting like, you know, a high school senior with all the uh, letters of interest in the mail, and he's talking about free agency is fun, and he's having a good old time outside of Houston. You've got Sam Donald. Now, he is not officially on the carousel. He's kind of watching around the corner because it depends on what New York wants to do with the number two pick. Now, the reason why they probably won't announce, hey, we're not going quarterback, is because that makes that pick less valuable. Because if you're not going for quarterback at two, that makes the third pick more valuable than the second pick, because now people wanna get to the third pick because you're no threat at picking a quarterback at two. So they're not gonna say anything. And so either they trade the second overall pick or they flat out draft the quarterback. They're not gonna, or they trade Sam Donald. They're either gonna trade Donald or trade the pick Because there's no real reason to pick at two. They can go from two to five and still fill out their needs. They need everything. So there's not a real situation where you're sitting at two and the Jets. Oh, my God, they need a receiver. They're going to draft Jamar Chase because they have to have a receiver. It doesn't matter. They can draft the receiver. They can draft a tackle. They can draft a corner. They can draft a linebacker. They need a football team in New York. So it actually be smarter for them to trade down, roll with Donald and see what happens. There's Jameis Winston. Obviously, Sean Payton has spoken about how he's how Jameis isn't leaving the building. How he brought Jameis in not to play him last year, but to play him this year to give him a 50 50 chance with Taysom Hill in order to win the starting position. And so, Jameis Winston will be granted that opportunity in New Orleans if all goes well with their cap situation. But Jameis Winston's on a carousel. I mean, right now, he doesn't have a place to get off yet because the Saints don't have their life together, and free agency hasn't opened yet, obviously. We have Las Vegas. Both of their quarterbacks are in, are in the news. Marcus Mariota is fairly strongly linked to New England, he's also been linked to a couple of other places via trade. Derek Carr is also being linked. I mean, he's been linked ever since John Gruden got the job. Their personalities weren't expected to mesh. They still haven't meshed. Uh, a lot of guys think John Gruden wants his own guy, so if he were to trade a Derek Carr to one of those teams that pick decently high looking for a quarterback, Derek Carr is a solid quarterback. And if in theory, if you're just gonna draft one, let's say you're gonna draft one in that pick eight or nine, I'm not sure who pick eight and nine off the top of my head, but if you're gonna draft one in the top 10 anyway, why not just trade Derek Carr for that pick? You get your quarterback and you know what he is. You don't have to really develop him. And you only spent one pick. And I'm sure Vegas would look for that first and a little bit extra because they may try to flip those picks, come up higher to get their own quarterback. But John Gruden is reportedly wanting his own guy. And so Derek Carr has always been linked to different teams via trade. Then you have Cam Newton. He currently is a person on the horse with nowhere to get off as well in the QB carousel because he could go to New England if the Patriots don't upgrade. If he doesn't go to New England, where does he go? There comes a situation where if he doesn't land on the Patriots, where does he go? I mean, there's no real place for him to land, especially as a starter, because even the bad teams now have high picks. So there's no way there's no reason for him to go to any of these places. You've got Mitch Trubisky, he's looking like a man without a country right now, either as the Bears to pick up his option. He's a free agent, so now he's on the carousel as well, spinning around. Dak Prescott, he had to, he's not, he's a man without a country that still has citizenship to another because technically he's a Dallas Cowboy. So Dallas decides to either tag him, not tag him, or sign him. And if they until they do that, he's just on the carousel spinning because he has no way for him to go. And of course, the three top rookies: Trevor Lawrence, who's basically a Jacksonville Jaguar; Justin Fields. I'm sorry, four top rookies: Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, and Zach Wilson. Uh, those guys, with three of them, are, their futures are unknown. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence probably should be buying a house in Jacksonville. I, I hope he's in the job hunting market we did after he's drafted Uh, don't announce it obviously but have your girlfriend or fiance now i'd rather go look for houses in jacksonville because you're going to jacksonville so i hope he's doing that now save himself a little time but this is a absolute show uh qb carousel is the funniest it's ever been it's the most interesting it's ever been in the nfl it is definitely the most intriguing uh just a little free agency cat news the cap will not be lower than 180 million this year, as it was expected to be 175 via the floor. The floors are to come up to 180. It is expected to be somewhere around 195 million, or uh, it could be it could be 195 million rather, which would be huge. So, if you're looking at a team like the Saints, they started off 100 million dollars a cap. They are down to 84 due to Drew Brees renegotiating his contract down to basically nothing when he is expected to retire you have but now they're down to 79 million already because they because the cap floors come up then they can easily create another 30 or 40 with just renegotiating restructuring and releasing they can create another 30 and even I say so that gets them down to mental math like around 50 million and then if they add another 15 million out of the cap space okay now you 35 million so the saints are and teams other teams over the cap uh, teams with cap space. For instance, Tampa Bay is trying to bring back Godwin and Barrett and Sue and the rest of that crew for net. Any other cap space they can get, it's just free cap that they can use on those guys. So uh you got guys like JJ Watt out there, Trey Henderson, these pass rushers, Von Miller is a guy who can be possibly released from Denver. T.Y. Hilton, uh receiver, like I said, those receivers classes loaded. So this is a very interesting cap situation as the whole world is watching because teams don't know just how much money they have or how much money they have to create in order to either keep their team in terms of Tampa, to keep their team competitive post a legend in terms of uh, New Orleans, to build their team around a new guy in terms of Indianapolis or the Rams or Detroit. So this is a very interesting situation. New York with the Jets, Giants as well with Daniel Jones. So we will definitely be keeping an eye on that. But up next, we will be shifting to the NBA and talking about what's going down in the association. Uh, Welcome back in guys. That was a long winded segment uh, my apologies for those but hey, it was a lot of great information is there a lot of great uh, opinions are there I thought I did a humdinger of a job. That's just me, but now we're going to shift to The NBA and of course as always when we start this we take a peek at the standings you know, Starting off with the East in order we have Philly Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Indiana Boston, Toronto, New York, Charlotte, Chicago and rounding out at number 10 will be Atlanta and of course remember we do 10 because of the playing scenarios all 10 of the top teams will be involved in it not all 10 but 7 through 10 will be involved so of course we do the top 10 because of the teams that currently matter and out west you have Utah LA as in the Lakers Clippers Portland Phoenix San Antonio Golden State Denver Memphis Dallas comes in at number 10, so taking a look at the standings taking a look at some of the win streaks, you have Utah, who's won, I think, 20 of their last 21, including that currently on a nine game win streak. Portland, pretty much with Dame Solo, uh, is on a six game win streak as he just you know one man did against the Pelicans recently with 43 and 16. You have Brooklyn, who's on a five game win streak, and they showed pretty good signs against the Lakers last night. As they came to play against the shorthanded Lakers, but hey, they were without KD, but the Lakers were without Anthony Davis and Dennis Shorter. So, in the grand scheme of life, some guys in the media might make a big deal out of it. I'm personally not. Um, I don't really look at regular season games as telltale signs unless the teams are at full strength. So, with Brooklyn being down KD, and with uh, the Lakers being down two of their best three defenders uh including their second best player and probably their third or fourth best player uh, with Anthony Davis and Schroeder being out i will i mean it was a good showing for brooklyn uh they knocked down a bunch of threes uh their three-point shooting is amazing you've got guys like joe harris you've got obviously kyrie and james you've got uh bruce brown who's really coming to play so you've got uh timothy Law capereau uh deandre jordan has his spurts and his moments uh, jeff green at the small ball five They're really taking advantage of that, especially when they do it against, let's say, like a Mark Gasol because James Harden was able to guard Mark Gasol because Gasol is a glacier and not moving. And even though he's posting up or turning his back to the basket, he's doing it at 20 feet. Well, you know, threat out there. You mean that's not a post fade range. That's not a little jump hook range. That's not, you know, anything that happens to really affect James Harden or that will put James Harden in a bind. Uh, I think Gasol should get more into the block Especially when you've got a Jeff Green Or a James Harden. on them. if for no other reason Take two bumps and force your way To the rim to even get a foul on them Make them put a real center on the floor That didn't happen last night, uh, Brooklyn's been able To get away with it, I don't know how they'll do In the playoffs Because with that lineup Because think about, you got Philly Philly's got Joel Embiid, put Jeff Green on Joel Embiid and Joel Embiid will average 40 you have Milwaukee, who has Lopez and Giannis. So, if you go small, you've got one. you got Jeff Green, either on Lopez and Giannis. Probably Lopez. He's less of a scoring threat. But then, James Harden can't stop Giannis from backing down. You can't build a wall when you're small. And Milwaukee can hit threes. And yet, and Milwaukee has Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton, who are longer, bigger guards who both play defense. And then, Giannis is perfectly comfortable playing defense. And you've got... Um, now he's more of a help side defender but you got lopez who's a pretty decent he can still move his feet a little bit and he gets to shoot the three so i don't know how to work that against milwaukee indiana has miles turner boston doesn't have a real son so you can go small against them toronto is really no threat to you no real big or anything like that so but looking at uh milwaukee philly and indiana both have legit bigs in terms of Giannis. And for Milwaukee, obviously, Indiana has Miles Turner and Sabonis, and Philly has Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons when he's aggressive and coming downhill, who nobody's sure to stop him getting to the paint because there's nobody in there. So that was something to watch for Brooklyn. On the went on the loss side of things, you've got the Bucks. They've lost five straight. Now I believe Drew Holiday's been out for all five of those. But if he has been, that's basically the same team that Giannis has been rolling with and the Bucks have been rolling with for the past couple years, centered around Chris Middleton, Giannis, and then ancillary pieces. They've lost five straight, including getting smacked by the Raptors last night. Um, Now again, I don't take a lot into the game individually because again, no Drew Holiday. Team wasn't at full strength. Plus that Raptor team is starting to get their life together a little bit as they are climbing up the rankings. Uh, They currently sit at six. But You've lost five straight. Honestly, the back-to-back MVP, you can't lose five straight in any circumstance. Uh, I don't, I and mean, it's just guys like, I, I, I implore you to find a five game win streak for Jordan, for LeBron, for Kobe, for a, you know, one of these all-time greats. Even when their teams were bad, you didn't lose five straight, uh, especially getting smacked in a couple of them. So the Bucks have not been playing overtly well. And so they're currently playing, they're currently on a five-game losing streak. I mean, there's even a funny video now of catching uh, Giannis' little brother, Thanasis, knocking on wood when Giannis is shooting free throws. Now, I don't know if that's just, I don't know if he's shooting a little subliminal of, I don't trust Giannis in these free throws, knock, knock, or if it's just a good luck thing or whatever, but he knocks on the wood when Giannis shoots free throws. I found that pretty funny. Um, looking at the West, the West is absolutely stacked right now The Pelicans, who sit in the 11th seed in the West Would be in the playoffs currently in the East So, back to back to normal <laughs> The good old West is way better than the East uh, There's only a few teams above 500 out East Pretty much everybody's out above 500 out the West I mean, I know that's not exactly true in terms of raw numbers But when you look at the standings and you just look at the numbers, the fifth seed in the east is 500 at Boston with 14 and 14. The 500 team in the west is Memphis at 12 and 12. They currently are ninth. So the fifth seed in the east would be the ninth seed in the west. I am looking at Charlotte with a point percentage of 464 or 46%. Forty-six percent lies Dallas, so Charlotte eight, Dallas is ten. And you look at the win percentage of seven or six fifty-five rather for the Sixers, and six fifty-five would be the fourth seed in the West. So the best team in the East would be the fourth seed in the West, as both LA franchises and Utah obviously have less have a higher win percentage than the number one seed in the East. So it is back to normal in terms of the East-West split. Um, but the MVP race is heating up, obviously you've got Joel Embiid, obviously you've got LeBron James who has a major opportunity to stamp his MVP claim with the lack of Anthony Davis, obviously you have Dame Lillard he probably is my second right now in terms of MVP because he's absolutely carrying a pretty hurt roster and they are winning like I said right now they win 6 straight including Dame going ballistic against the Pelicans Uh, overcoming a great Zion game, and he's going crazy right now, Uh, and Donovan Mitchell has to be in the MVP conversation, he's the best player on the best team, which has been pretty much the MVP the last few seasons, Donovan Mitchell has to be in the MVP conversation as his team right now is a few games clear, everybody in the NBA record-wise, Steph Curry has to be in the MVP conversation, look, I know they're the seventh seed, but Russell Westbrook changed the narrative a little bit in terms of needing to be a higher seed to be the MVP his numbers are right up there with his best numbers ever and If Golden State because it's the West they could easily find themselves the fifth seed Portland Portland's gonna come back to the pack Uh, They're gonna eventually start losing some games Golden State can find themselves as the fourth or fifth seed if they're that I don't see how Steph Curry is at least not number two in the MVP voting he can have a very good case of winning it. Obviously, my preseason pick of Luka ain't looking great. But, man, hey, my coach of the year pick also is not looking great anymore thanks to Quinn Snyder in Utah. Uh, my rookie of the year pick, Obi Toppin, is not looking great thanks to LaMelo Ball. I don't know why I didn't ride with LaMelo Ball. I thought it was too mainstream. I wanted to go counterculture. Um, yeah, so that kind of let me down there. I, I'm not having a great year in terms of my preseason picks for NBA awards. But, hey. Such as life, but moving on to some awards that no one can dispute, although they were disputed often. So hey, it would be the NBA All Star starters. Now I think the startering label has been placed way too high in the past few years because no one ever looks and goes back in the '80s and goes, "Oh, he went to ten All Stars, but he only started in six. So you know he's he's a little bit less accomplished than the guy who also went to ten but started in eight. No one cares. You went all-star. No one cares. I can't name you the all-star starters from last season. I know Bill won on the team, which is blasphemous, but I can't name you the all-star starters from last season. All I know is at the end of the game, they set guys like Luca down and other guys who couldn't perform because that game got really, really tight and it ended up in the best players' hands anyway. You had guys like Kyle Arbor taking charges. Like, so when it comes to stuff like that, no one cares about the starters. But hey, the starters are now a big deal, so let's take a look at them. Out east, you've got the captain, Kevin Durant, who will be one of the captains to pick his teams, and his fellow East brethren, east brethren rather, was Giannis Antetokounmpo of the Milwaukee Bucks, Joel Embiid of the Philadelphia 76ers, Bradley Beal, the NBA's leading scorer of the Washington Wizards, and Brooklyn Nets teammate of KD, Kyrie Irving. Now, there was some controversy there. Some guys said, hey, if you're gonna do raw numbers, Levine actually has a better case to make an all-star team on a bad team than Bradley Bill. Because yes, Bradley Bill leads the league in scoring at 33 at night, but Jack Levine's averaging 28 a night, he's got more rebounds, more assists, shooting a higher percentage from the field and from three, he would actually have a better case on a raw stat argument on a bad team to make the all-star starters than Bradley Bill. Now, I expect Levine to be an all-star, which, and again, 20 years from now, hell, next year no one's going to care about, but Zach Levine, in terms of raw numbers, has a better argument than Bradley Beal, if we do other things besides putting the ball in the basket. James Harden, I don't think had a case, because A, he just joined the East, like, 17 games ago, so uh, he could be an all-star, he will be an all-star, but, um, being a starter, I would have to go with those five guys. That was my five that I would have picked. That's the five I voted for. So I have no arguments there. Uh, Jalen Brown had a case in Boston. He'll definitely be an all-star. Again, next year, nobody would care. But um he had a case as well. He just didn't have the overwhelming team success. He wasn't. If he was in a situation where he was doing what he was doing and he had a Utah-type record or they were number one in the East, he'd probably be a starter but boston kind of fell back to the pack like i said right now they're 500 um so they he will be an all-star along with tatum but neither one uh deserve to be a starter due to that out west for the fourth year in a row uh, lebron james will be the captain of the west team it will be lebron james steph curry luka Doncic, Kawhi leonard and nikola Jokic which, again, felt like four of the obvious five. Now, that was a mild controversy. For instance, Paul George has been playing basketball better than Kawhi Leonard for most of the year. He could have gotten the nod as a starter. i would say it again, no one's going to care next year, but he could have gotten the nod as a starter. Instead, Kawhi Leonard got the nod. It's a fan voter situation. Hey, it happens. And Luka Doncic was in over Dame Lillard. Now, this was the controversial pick. So, Dame Lillard is an MVP candidate. Right now, if I had to rank them, I would say he's third. Behind LeBron James and Joel Embiid. Although he's probably passing Embiid down. So, it's LeBron and then Embiid. Dame, choose your person for second. When it comes down to the All-Star voting, the media and the players had Dame significantly higher than Luka. But the fans voted in Luka big time. Now, I believe that this is similar to what happened when Yao Ming would start over Shaq. The media and the players would have Shaq way over Yao, and then the fans would vote Yao in over Shaq in the starting lineup. Now, the they came out and said, oh, uh, it was tied, and the fans broke the tie. Well, that's not true, because, like I said, Dame was significantly higher in media and the... Player voting Dane was significantly higher than Luka. So, the excuse of that, oh, the fans broke the tie is not true. It's a fan voted thing, it's not a situation where you know the all star voting is equal part. Everybody, I believe fans have 50% of the vote. So, one in one now that now that could be the thing. Now that could be the thing. I believe fans have 50% of the vote. It used to be 100% of the vote. But then um, stuff like Allen Iverson not playing that whole Year and was like almost made the team And then like Klay Thompson was really high On the team this year so fans will vote Crazily so they gave fans 50% of the vote so I guess that makes sense Because it was one to one technically In terms of votes if you give fans 0.5 and then Media gets 0.25 And then the Players get 0.25 of the vote Then it would be half and of course Fan vote outweighs so okay so, Luka gets the fan vote. But like but like I was saying, back to my Yao Ming and Shaq point, Luka will always probably be in the All-Star game over people who might deserve it more than him because of his Euro connection. He has not only American fans, he has he's from Slovenia. He played in Euro. He played in Europe. He played in the Euro League. He was the best player in Europe when he came over here. So, it is definitely a case for him to be a top player in the All-Star game. He'll probably be a starter every year. Regardless, you might think a Dame might be a little bit more worth it But shifting to the all-star game that Adam Silver said is being held mainly due to the fans He said uh, on TNT last night that the All-star game gets about hundred and thirty million watchers and they get something like a billion interactions with highlights from the game So they are having the game for the fans sake it will be held March 7th in Atlanta Uh, the Keisha Lance Bottom, the mayor of Atlanta, has already said, Look, don't come to the city looking to party, don't fly in, don't flood the city Uh, looking to party. Atlanta is open ish, but she's trying to do her best to contain COVID, obviously. So he said, Don't come in looking to fly in and have a good party and party around all star weekend. Although, normally, that is the benefit of having all star weekend, of having Super Bowl. Having stuff like that is that people do fly in just to party. But Keisha Lance Bottoms of Atlanta, like I said, the mayor of Atlanta, uh requested and basically told people do not fly in for this event. Um Trying to keep COVID down. Adam Silver, NBA commissioner, said there will be no ticketed events. Uh Not the usual, you know, media sessions, not the usual ticketed events, not the three or four night showcase, any of that. Uh, to just be the game. Everything will be on one night. They will be having, he think he said 1500 fans, um, mostly of HBCUs in the area, the Morehouse, the Clarks, um, the people like that, and the other schools in the Atlanta area will be receiving tickets. So, I'm not sure how that process works, but hey, if you're a HBCU student at a school in Atlanta, maybe you should ask your people, maybe they send out emails. I don't know, but they will be having 1500 fans. I'm sure it will be have some health, health some vaccinated. Healthcare workers uh, that seems to be a popular thing the Super Bowl did that flew a bunch of vaccinated healthcare workers down So hopefully the NBA does something for the healthcare workers in Atlanta, which I'm sure they will Now as for the game itself or as for the quote-unquote weekend itself So it'll be sort of all-star weekend. It'll be all-star day So the three-point shootout and the skills challenge will be held before the all-star game with the slam dunk contest being at halftime. So that means halftime is going to be really long. means the game itself technically is going to be really long because the slam dunk takes about 30 to 45 minutes usually and so if they have the normal slam dunk contest time of 30 to 45 minutes that will obviously be a much longer halftime than the 15 to 20 to 25 minutes that it usually is. So that is definitely something that will be different. And of course, they will be having the Elam ending. That is the most popular ending of the all-star game. It's what bred the massive, some of the greatest, iconic shots in all-star history. You have the Joel b dream shake on LeBron. You have LeBron dribbling the ball with Giannis Garnum, which you see that Spike Lee and Quavo in the shot behind them, everybody leaning on the court trying to get a better angle. Trying to see this a matchup. I mean, Kyle I was second charges. The game was as competitive as it's been in two decades nearly because of the Elam ending, because you weren't looking up down eight with a minute left. The game's over. You know, it was a situation where you're down eight. Yeah, but they still gotta get to they still gotta get six more points. We gotta get 16 more points. We we hit two, three straight shots here. We're right back in this. And so it bred all kind of competition. It brought it back to a true pickup feel. Because, you know, you and your friends get together on the court and y'all going to 21 or y'all going to 12 or something like that. First one to get to 12, time doesn't matter. So that was definitely a massive improvement for the All-Star game. Uh, Thank you, Chris Paul, for bringing that over from TBT, who popularized the Elam ending in basketball. And the target score, again, will be plus 24. So how it'll work is in the Elam ending in the in the basketball tournament, also known as TBT, it is they play half the fourth quarter. They play it like the last four minutes, and then a target score is set. So if it's a big time blowout, it'll be whatever the team that's leading plus three or plus four, you know, if it's a 20-point game. Or if it's a really, really close game, they might do plus ten or plus twelve, you know, for uh, whoever the leading score is. So if it's you know 90 to 88 and then the target score is plus eight, the first one gets 98, regardless of time. So last year's All-Star Game in honor of Kobe Bryant, they did plus 24 with a completely untimed fourth quarter. So whatever the score was, I say it was 105, it was plus 24. Whoever the leading score was 105, it was plus 24, so it was target score 129. Oh, Whoever got to 129 or 130 or whatever, first one. Um, this year it'll be plus 24 again So at the end of three quarters, ever leading Let's say it's 100, it'll be plus 24 So the target score will become 124 Uh The only thing I wish they change, Or I hope they change, Is that they get rid of the free throw Victory, I hope you just take it out of bounds Or at least make it a jump shot I don't know, make it like a one-on-one Maybe, so if you foul a guy And you have one point to win You can't do it on free throws You gotta do a one-on-one, three-dribble style Like backyard pickup style where you need to go get this bucket because that's the only way it'll count kind of thing you can't end on a free throw that's pretty anticlimactic. Anthony Davis won on a free throw boring and it looks like an anti-climatic way to end an amazing game so hopefully they change that but other than that I am really excited for All-Star Day I guess game really say All-Star Weekend anymore um, obviously you know the guys I have. they can bring four people in their trainer, their agent, stuff like that um everybody's flying out right after the game so it's not the usual some guys you stay and party that night if it's a good city so like atlanta a lot of the young guys might stay and party that last night in atlanta and then fly out that monday morning but obviously the NBA rules is no you have to fly out that night so that's a change in terms of the festivities obviously due to covid um which hopefully we're getting under control as a country but hey up next we will be talking about serena versus osaka would look like the goat versus the baby goat. righty, guys, and we are back in the show, and now we're gonna talk about a sport we officially have never talked about on the show, but obviously it was one of those monumentous occasions And it was something that we had to talk about and that would be tennis with the match between Serena Williams and Naomi Osaka Now this match Had all the making of one of those all-time where-were-you moment matches Um, You know, it was kind of things like you knew something big was gonna happen you knew Something major was gonna happen. I mean it was it came down to when you knew Michael Jordan was gonna retire with the Wizards and he played Kobe that last time it's like where were you um, obviously we never got Jordan versus LeBron because Michael Jordan retired the year before LeBron got in the NBA so Jordan retired his last year with 2002-2003 LeBron just comes into the league 2003-2004 uh, now they have been they have shared a court together There was a story where LeBron and Jordan you know play on the same team in some pickup camp thing so they shared a court together but anyway This had Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady. This was Michael Jordan, Cooper Bryant, when you knew, obviously, you know, like I said, Jordan was in that last year. This was when you have that old GOAT, as we've now talked about it, and the young goat. This is like when you see LeBron and Ben Simmons go at it. I mean, I know Ben Simmons is not a goat, but like when you see oh like LeBron and Zion go at it, it's like, okay. You know, the LeBron and Zion's a little better comparison. You see like LeBron and Zion go at it. You you know you you look at it and you're like, man, this is this is special. Um, when you saw Magic and Michael go at it, it was one of those "Where were you when this happened?" moments. And that's what Serena and Osaka was. It was uh, aging Serena. She's 38, 39 years old now. She's been professional in tennis for 22, 23 years. Um, she started the tour 22, 23 years ago. Naomi Osaka is 23. Uh, so Serena's been on tour for as long as Naomi's been alive, so there hasn't been a time in Naomi Osaka's life And conversely, my life, that Serena Williams has not been on the tour So she Serena obviously has 23 grand slams, she's one away from tying the all-time record, two away from passing it uh, She's been quote-unquote stuck on 23 for four years um, And she won her 23rd while pregnant with her daughter Olympia at oddly the Australian Open four years ago and when you ha- and you looked at that match, you watched that match, and I, I won't dare claim myself to be a tennis aficionado. I won't dare tell you I know what all the techniques are supposed to look like, and what all the, you know, different moves and the counter and all that. So I-, I, won't dare try to formulate myself as a tennis aficionado. Um, you want to have that topic in football? Let's, let's go at it, you know. But uh, I won't dare try to paint myself as some tennis pro or. Super, super knowledgeable about the game I mean, I know a little bit about tennis A little bit about the form Obviously, we all took tennis to school Um, I, I, In this job, I watched a little bit of it Just to keep myself knowledgeable But I won't, you know, dare claim myself as a pro But I know what athletics looks like I know how athletics feels And you listen to the announcers Who are tennis pros Who are tennis people Who are tennis uh, analysts for their careers I, I know what I heard and I know what I saw and I know how an athlete looks um, and I know what the future looks like because again I know enough about tennis and know about Osaka and Saran and stuff like that uh, some of the other players in the game that was the torch pass we don't get that often in sports like for instance in the game where the Joy last time Jordan and Kobe played Kobe went ballistic that was the torch pass Jordan beat Magic in the finals. That was the torch pass. Brady and and Mahomes went at it. If Mahomes won the game, that would have officially been the torch pass. Most people think the torch pass happened anyway. Within that last playoff game, that was considered the torch pass, but that was the big opportunity on the national stage, on the Super Bowl stage, to take the torch from Brady. Ultimately, it was not done, but that was the opportunity for the torch to be passed. Uh, Hopefully we get a Zion LeBron playoff series and Zion takes him out, you know, and and that'll be the official torch passing for now with Zion's league as it was LeBron's league for the past decade plus. That was a torch pass. Serena Williams at 39 years old is still a top. She's ranked 10 right now. She's still a top I would consider her if she, you know, if she was able to play more tournaments, she'd probably be in the top six or seven in the world. She's still a world class ranked tennis player. Naomi Osaka is the best tennis player on planet Earth as a female. And it's not even close. She's the best female player on the planet. Naomi Osaka at 23 looked like Serena Williams at 23. Serena Williams was a power machine who even better, was better than 99% of people on the tour technically. So if you were the 1% who could be technically sound with her, she overpowered you. It was similar to Tiger Woods on golf. Like, yeah, Tiger Woods was an amazing technical golfer. His putting was spectacular. Uh, it, it came off and on. His his, his mid-game was there, but his putting was spectacular, and his, obviously his driver. But he would overpower the golf course. Even if he had a bad day with his short stuff, He just overpowered the golf course anyway. He was still way longer than everybody. If Serena wasn't the best on her serve, she wasn't the best on her forehand, she wasn't the best on her backhand that day, she overpowered you, it didn't matter. She was just physically overwhelmed whoever she went against. And now Naomi's at that point. I mean, Serena's banging serves. She's yelling at herself. She's telling herself, play your game. Hit your shot. That's how you do it. She gets a point. She yells. She was... The crowd tried to get behind her at a couple of points. And Naomi's, and Naomi's serve was a couple mile an hour faster. Her return was a couple of mile an hour faster. Her backhands was a couple of mile an hour faster. Her shot placement was a lot better. Um, when you have a situation where you're overpowered now by a younger competitor. And you are not as technically sound as you were. Because Serena hit the net on a lot of her shots. Um, which is something we're not used to seeing her doing. We've seen her miss long because, again, she's so powerful, she's so strong that if she don't get that spin right, she'll knock on long. That's something, That's one thing she can do, but hitting the net, I mean, she was hitting the middle of the net sometimes. It wasn't like she was tipping and it just stayed back. like She was smacking the middle of the net sometimes. Um, her technique looked off, according to the announcers. It looked, one of the announcers mentioned that it wasn't like she was swinging. It looked like she was stabbing at the ball opening her shoulders too fast not really smooth at all just kind of just effectively looking like an overmatched player just trying to get it back over the net hoping she can get one soft and easy or not soft and easy rather but once she can get relatively soft and easy for her standard that she can return get her feet back under her and get ready um so that was interesting to hear uh, but Osaka went down 2-0 most people go down to Serena. The avalanche is on. The crowd is roaring, and you're in dire need of trouble. I mean, you're <laughs> you are in help. You are screaming SOS, somebody save me, because Serena's roaring and there's nothing anybody can do about it when she's like that. Osaka calmly got her life together and dominated her after that, winning in straight sets. Um Serena had a Moment after the match, where you know she waved hand on her heart, waving to the crowd. It, it it felt like, and the announcer noted it. It felt like to me, and like I said, the announcer, that that was a thank you more to the game as to just the Australian Open fans. Because Serena's always done that. Now. When Serena would lose, she would wave to the crowd, go into the tunnel, do her interview, leave. Um, but she waved. Man, she waved a, a, a couple of minutes and hand on heart, and you can see the emotion already starting. And then she went up the ramp, and that was emotional. And then she, you know, she may have let out a good cry, but then she came to the podium and she talked for an interview last about a minute. And then the emotions came back when they asked her, uh, Are you know, are you getting close to done? And she responded, Oh, yeah, if I was done, I wouldn't even tell anybody. You know, like I would just, I just wouldn't play no more. And then, um, then they ask her was it the bad day at the office and it broke, so that felt like she knows what's around the corner and she's trying to stave it off, you know. But she wants 24 so badly. 24 give her the tie her for the all-time record. I think if she gets 24, she might be the kind of competitor that says, "Screw it, I can go get 25." Um, but that that hurts to watch. I like I said, I don't know of vs. Serena. She's been, she's been in since 98. I was born 97. Like, I don't know what tennis is like without Serena. Naomi Osaka doesn't know what tennis is like without Serena uh, in the game. So, you know, she said before she's going to play as long as Venus plays, and Venus is still playing, so Serena may come back. Uh, we don't know what's in her heart, what's in her mind. The French is next on the clay. It's grueling on the body. Maybe Serena doesn't scoot and do that one she skips it goes to Wilmington on the grass Uh, Osaka isn't good really really good on the grass so she struggles a little bit on the grass maybe Serena thinks that's her spot to pick to go get 24 Um, but it was a monumental moment definitely a where were you moment Um, definitely a do you remember when Serena played Osaka at the australian open in 2021 you know like uh it was definitely one of those monumental moments uh Osaka gave serena her flowers after the match uh me and I was trying to like get her to be like oh could you read serena she was like no nah, i was just guessing and like you know happened to guess right where gonna hit the ball like um it was definitely one of those monumental moments so that was a huge moment for not only tennis not only uh female tennis but female sports in general the fact that the whole world was captured it was in America. It was a decent time in America. It was nine fifteen locally for me, uh, ten fifteen on the West Coast, seven fifteen on the East Coast on the on the West Coast, ten fifteen on the East Coast. So the country was watching. Nothing else major was happening. So it was one of those big time, humongous moments. Um, so congratulations to those two women. Congratulations uh, to the sport of tennis. And for Serena, man, it your career is unequivocally the greatest tennis career of all time. I'm not even going to debate that with anybody. I don't care. Um, She unequivocally had the greatest female, uh, greatest tennis career of all time. She's one of the GOATs. She's in the top five to seven. I haven't sat down and done it, obviously, but she's, you know, one of the top athletes of all time. And just because of what she did for the sport as a whole, but definitely the female side of the sport, um, mainstream for the African-American culture as in general, um, now you see young black girls on the tour to me it was pretty much Venus and Serena I mean there might have been a couple of others you know one or two maybe sprinkled on the tour in terms of uh, African American female tennis players when the Williams sisters showed up or through their careers but now you see Naomi Osaka uh, who's half African American half Japanese you get Coco Gauff you have Sloane Stevens obviously the Williams sisters still running around so it is you see the impact you see the next generation. I think there's a couple of others that were mentioned You see the next generation. You see the impact that the Williams sisters had. And um, Serena ultimately was the face of tennis for years with Rafa and Joker and uh, Fed. um, With, like I said, Serena being the female face of the sport for years. So congratulations to her. If this is, if that was her last big moment in the sun, I hope it's not. I, um, congratulations to her. If it is, you know, we'll definitely give her her best for last segment here. But congratulations to Osaka for advancing to the finals, and the throne is yours. Uh, this is your era now. We've had the Williams sister era, uh, Serena era. Uh, this could be over. It looks like at the moment it's over, but I won't count Serena out. Especially, like I said, she takes the French off, gets ready for Wimbledon. Her draw being be important. She can't go through what she went through this last tournament and make it through. But uh, hopefully she can get a favorable draw, and we can see her go for 24 but up next we will have our best for last which we'll be talking about major league baseball's newest super paid star fernando tatis jr welcome in to the show for our last segment our best for last this was a great show and personally One of my favorites, like I said, Wednesday was looking like it's going to be a rough show, sort of like it was when the show first started and it was COVID and we didn't really have sports and it was a lot of figuring it out kind of thing. Um, This was looking like one of those going to be a figure it out kind of show, but hey, it ended up being a great one. But we're going to go our best for last with Fernando Tatis Jr. of the San Diego Padres receiving and jumping into the upper echelon of paid athletes in america but especially in baseball when he signed a 14 year 340 million dollar deal with the padres now in baseball this money is all guaranteed so i know my football fans out there you know you're used to hearing oh he signed for 100 million dollars but 55 is guaranteed or he signed for 90 million dollars but six is guaranteed. In baseball, it's just like basketball. When your name is inked on the contract, your contract is fully guaranteed. So Bryce Harper's gonna get all his $400 million, and Fernando Tatis Jr. is gonna get all of his $340, and Robinson Cano's gonna get all of his $300 plus million, and Juan Carlos Stan is gonna get all of his money, and, and when Aaron Judge signs his big deal, he's gonna get all of his money. If he hasn't signed already. I can't remember off the top of my head. Don't hold me to that. Don't crucify me for that one. But he's gonna get all his money and etc. 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 So the big, the big reason why Tatis is so important to the game and why this deal is so important is a he did not go crazy on the bank. Yes, three hundred forty million dollars is a lot of money, but if you break it down, it's twenty-four million dollars a year per annual salary. That would be the forty-seventh ranked paid player in the NBA, right behind Buddy Hield at the moment. So if you know basketball and you know baseball, you know that's not really that high a paid in terms of athletes. Uh, he's only getting, like I said, $24 million a year, which would be placed him 47th in the NBA. Uh, in terms of quarterbacks, if you look at the NFL perspective, $24 million a year is less than a lot of starters. It's less than Russell Wilson, less than Tom Brady, less than Pat Mahomes, or will have Mahomes in the future, less than Deshaun Watson once his contract extension kicks in. Um, less than Lamar Jackson when he get his extension and less than Josh Allen when he was signed for. So if you look at a guy less than Ben Roethlisberger, uh, less than Russell Wilson, I don't know if I already said him, but less than him as well, uh, less than what Drew Brees played for last season. So it is not that high of paid in terms of annual salary in the NFL. $24 million would be the highest paid pass rusher. It would be the highest paid receiver, but not by much. Um, so it is big time because he did not break the bank and go crazy. He didn't go 14 years, $500 million, which he is very well worth in the MLB. But he also gets a big deal right, right alongside of his fellow teammate, Manny Machado. They also picked up Blake Snell. They got you Darvish. So the Padres are going to come to play. But what made it a big deal was he went, like I said, alongside long term, right beside Manny Machado. Then he decided, and this was done at age 22. So... Look at Mike Trout when he got his big deal. He was 27, 28. Albert holes when he finally got his big deal, with the Angels was in his 30s. Uh, you've got other guys who used to get this on that on third deal pretty much. They get it, you know, because baseball, it takes you a couple years to get to the majors if you're really good normally. Then it takes you, you play a rookie deal out, which is a few years, two to four, depending on how you signed. Then you have probably a couple of years of arbitration. Then if you're on that same team and they pay you, a la Mike Trout, you're 27, you get your money. Ava Pujols went through the Cardinals system, was decently underpaid. Then we got his big payday with the Angels. Uh, You got other guys who's going to get that payday with a different team. And Robinson Cano got it later in his career. Then uh, Tatis is getting it now. But Fernando Tatis is 22. He did it before arbitration. He got 14 years. So he'll come out of it at 23, 20, he'll come out of it at 30, sorry, 36, 37, and he'll still be on the back end of his prime. He won't be what he will be in his prime, but he will be a service enough player with $24 million to Tatis won't be a death nail to the organization. You know, you won't be hung up by the neck with like, for instance, the Angels could be paying Mike Trout. North of $40 million at 40 years old when he would not be worth anywhere near that. You saw Albert Pujols handcuff the Angels with a big deal when his level of play tailed off. And yet they were paying him such a large salary. There's no salary cap in baseball, but the teams do pay out of their own pockets because there's no cap. They pay out of their own pockets for their salary. So they could not financially and fiscally pay for any more talent around Pujols and at the time Trout because of Pujols' large salary cap. Plus, to reduce the luxury tax, teams that aren't that successful don't want to pay the luxury tax to lose or to not win. So, they will avoid paying taxes if they can. If they can, So, this was huge for baseball. Tatis is one of the young stars. We see him on the cover of MLB The Show. We see him in the Gatorade uh, Bolt commercials, um, Bolt 24 commercials. He has a lot of personality. He is in the new era where Rob Manfred is let the kids play, as he's starting to say. Where he allows, you know, personalities. He allows bat flips. He allows trash talk. He allows, you know, more personalities to come through because you have to get in the younger generation of baseball. And Tatis is one year my junior, and so he's a guy that I will quote unquote get into my golden age of sports watching with a guy like Fernando Tatis Jr. I know he's a Padre, I know he's there 14 years. Like I know for a fact, Tatis and Padres, Machado and Padres. And so that is huge for Major League Baseball for that to occur. But that is all we have for the day. This is an absolutely packed show. Like I said, it pretty much came together in a span of 24 hours. So that was huge. A lot of news broke. Pretty much everything I reported on or talked about today broke in the last 24 hours or so. So that was humongous. I mean, besides Serena and Osaka, that was obviously a couple of days ago but uh, most of the all of the nfl news 95 percent of it and all the nba discussions broke in the last 24 hours Tatis broke maybe 48 hours ago uh, 72 hours ago possibly so that was huge for us but i hope you guys enjoyed i hope you guys stuck around i hope you guys learned a lot uh keep helping us grow tell your friends uh definitely you know subscribe download some episodes listen to some older stuff see how right i was if you're new to the show If you're not new to the show, like I said, tell your friends, get them on the wave and we will be talking obviously next week. And so you guys definitely come on back, tune in to one of the fastest growing podcasts on sports in America. And this is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out. You guys have a great day.